Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys. I don't know what your week has been like. Uh, Mine has been a bit unusual. We were having dinner as a family on, I think it was Tuesday night, and uh, I don't know how you do it, but like our week is crazy. Dinner time is usually the time we try to kind of get together, slow down, uh, catch up with everybody, see what's going on, and we're having dinner. It's a nice dinner on the table, and our six-year-old says something rather unusual for dinner time. He says, there's blood on my food. Don't know how you'd handle that, but I immediately looked down at my plate to figure out if there's blood on my food as well, what's going on here. Uh, Everybody's kind of doing a self-assessment, and my wife, Michelle, figures out uh, what was going on. She says, Aiden, do you have a loose tooth? And he says, yes. And she's like, oh, okay. And so she goes over there, starts wiggling it, and she's like, oh, it is loose. Now, I don't know if this is the same in your household, but uh, I think most households have like a designated tooth puller. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Like the person that likes it and is good at it. That is certainly my wife. I will not touch their teeth. Uh, It's disgusting to me. I don't want any part of this. But she loves it. She does it. And uh, so she's wiggling over there. And then I noticed when she got to that that moment where it's about to come out. And, And I know it's that moment, not because of what she does, because of the look in the kid's eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's this look of like terror when they realize she's got the death grip. This tooth is coming out. And so uh, he gets the look in his eyes like, <gasps> and all of a sudden, things out, you know, we're celebrating, you know, he's getting tissues and uh, it's like, oh, that's, that's an eventful dinner. Not to be outdone, our 11 year old uh, says, you know what, I think I have a loose tooth too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, and so I go back to eating. Before I know it, his tooth is skipping across the table as he launches it out of his mouth. And I'm like, dude, did you just pull that out of your mouth? He's like, yeah. I'm like, was it really loose? He's like, yeah, I think it was loose. I'm like, what? Okay. So that was like two teeth at dinner time. That was a bit unusual for us. The next day, our nine-year-old uh, says, hey, I think I have a loose tooth. So Michelle kicks into gear, gets in there, gets the death grip, pulls the tooth out. Not to be outdone, our 11-year-old comes back with, I've got another loose tooth. I'm thinking, I think he's got most of his teeth out by now. I don't think there's much left that he has baby teeth. Sure enough, he pulls another one out. Then the next day, poetically enough, uh, our kids had a dentist appointment, which seemed right after all the tooth carnage we had going on this week. And I kid you not, in the lobby of the dentist, the six-year-old comes back with, I've got another loose tooth. And in the lobby of the dentist, my wife yet again pulls another one out. Blood is everywhere. He gets a bloody nose. I mean, it's like the whole thing. That is five teeth in three days, if you're doing the math. Uh, The tooth fairy needs to go on a new budget uh, to keep up with what is going on in our house. So it's been unusual in our house. I had a lot of of teeth this week. I don't know what your week has been like. One of the things I love about the church is whether you came in here today and it was an amazing week Or you came in today and you're like, I can't believe I actually made it here. Um, We get to be the church together. We get to be community together. And and so I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're a part of this. Uh, For those of you who are watching or listening online, you made it with us as well. So glad that you guys are a part of this. Uh, I want to welcome all of you to Abundant Life Church. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're so excited. We do not, uh, we do not 
take it lightly when we get time to have this space together, to have conversation together, and, and to experience community together, the highs and the lows and the weird teeth-pulling weeks and all of the in-between. Uh, we just, uh, we're incredibly grateful to be a part of this with you. So what I want to encourage you to do is get a journal out. If you're uh, with us and you've got a journal, hopefully we're in a new journal today. It's this part five of our John series. Like I do every week, I want to encourage you to get this out. Go uh, open up to week one. You'll see a spot to take notes there. You'll also see a spot to write the title down. Today's title is called Stand Up. And so if you write that down, you can go back online and reference this message if you ever want to go to YouTube or uh, to a podcast and figure out uh, what we were talking about or, or maybe reference back to some of these notes. In our Bibles today, we're in John chapter 5. And so we're just working our way through the Gospel of John. If you've got a physical Bible with you, I encourage you to get that out and, and open that up with us. And if you've got a Bible app on a phone or a device, I encourage you to get that out as well. And we would love for you to read along as we get into John today. Now we're looking at a, a very powerful story in John chapter 5. And it's a story that I think um, it, it's easy for you and I to find ourselves inside of this story. So we're going to see the story from, from the original point of view of what's going on here. I'm going to unpack a little bit of that. But then I hope that you find yourself in this story and you realize, wow, this is what I'm working through today as well. And, and we're going to see some of these overlap. So in John chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. This is the setup for our story, and it, it takes place at a very interesting spot. Uh, the Pool of Bethesda was a pool dedicated to the healing power of a Greek god named Asclepius. And so this is a Greek influence uh, when it comes to healing. Now, it's positioned in an interesting spot, and John is explaining that. In case that doesn't bring to your mind exactly where this is, let me show you a little diagram of where this would have taken place. So here, uh, kind of in the middle to the right of your screen that you can see is the Pool of Bethesda. And then, you know, really close to it on the left is where the, the Jerusalem, uh, this is where the temple would be in Jerusalem, okay? So I want you to see how the proximity of this is very close. This is where the center of Jewish worship would take place in the Jewish temple. And then just a little bit off uh, from that is this Greek hub uh, with a Greek influence. Now what you gotta realize is the Pool of Bethesda, the people who were sick that were here are essentially coming because the Jewish God had failed them. Now, most of these were probably Jews. They're, they're very close to Jewish temple, but they're going to the Greek gods to find healing. And, and so that's an important detail to understand the context of what's happening in this story. These are people who have probably tried everything uh, with the Jewish God, and the Jewish God has not delivered, has not healed them yet. So now they're trying to see, can the Greeks offer us anything better? What, what do the Greeks offer us? Now, if you're using a Bible version that's like mine, uh, you may have noticed that you have no verse four. If not, check your Bible right now and have a little moment of panic that someone stole a verse out of your Bible, right? Where is verse four? Uh, most of your versions probably don't have it. Uh, if you do, uh, or if you look this up, verse four talks about uh, that there was, uh, uh, in the pool, there was a stirring of water, and when the waters would be stirred, an angel would come, and, and that was how the healing would take place. Well, here's why most of your versions don't have verse four anymore, is that scholars today don't think that John wrote verse four. They think that scribes later added it when they were copying this down. Why? 
<clears throat> so what I, I think was going on, and what a lot of scholars today think is that John uh, had talked about a Greek influence here, and so this is what the Greeks were believing happening, but they missed that point, and so they go, well, how is God uh, doing this? How is the Jewish God doing this? So they had to add an angel in uh, to try and explain it, but it misses the point of what John's saying. John's saying this is not God. It's not this God doing this. This is the other gods, okay? This is a totally different thing. And that's why today scholars go, yeah, that probably doesn't fit, uh, probably was not written by John in the first place. Now, talk about the water is, is getting stirred up. What we now believe happened is, is you'll notice these are two different levels, that you had an upper pool, a lower pool, and there was a system of pipes, and there were priests there. And so now it's believed that the priests actually had uh, you know, levers they could control to open or close the pipes, which would allow the water to be stirred up, which created this whole thing that then produced the healing according to uh, the, the, the Greek gods. Now, that's what's going on here. And so again, when you got a picture, you have a Greek influence totally separate than what you know, Jesus is about, right next to the temple. And th- these are important details as we look at this story. Now, we don't know what this guy's condition actually is. It doesn't state it in detail. Uh, we don't know if he's physically paralyzed or he's psychologically paralyzed. Either way, this guy is stuck. He's stuck where he is, whatever his condition is, and he's not getting better and he has no way to get better. And I want you to think about what, what happens when you deal with the same problem for 38 years, like what, what happens? You, you probably start to accept it, right? You probably start to go, well, this is just part of my story. And without realizing what probably happens is it becomes part of your identity. Because that has been your story. That has been for so long, for 38 years, this guy has dealt with whatever his affliction was, that now it has become part of his very identity, And I wonder if he had stopped praying about it. The fact that he's at a Greek, uh, you know, place of healing, does that signify that he had stopped praying uh, to the God that he understood? He's probably a Jew. Did he stop praying to God because he felt like God had abandoned him? How long is the longest you've ever prayed for one prayer? Like, at what point did you say, well, I I prayed for this long and then I gave up on it? I was thinking in my own life, what's, what's a prayer I remember praying for a long time, but then I, I later stopped praying, and uh, this wasn't a, an area of pain in my life, but I remember praying a specific prayer years ago. Uh, I remember learning something that God has been doing around the world that fascinated me, and this is, uh, this is worth exploring. I don't have time to do this now, but all around the world right now, God is literally bringing people to himself through dreams. And this is especially happening in Muslim countries where uh, Muslims are having dreams about Jesus and they don't know how to explain what they just dreamt about. And it's so tangible to to them. And they will go and they'll ask around uh, to figure out what did I just dream about until they ask a Christian. And when they ask a Christian, the Christian can explain to them that you just dreamed about Jesus. And, and, And literally, Muslims around the world are coming to faith in Jesus through this way. Now, when I learned about this phenomenon, again, you can look this up. This is fascinating. When I learned about this, I remember I began praying that God would give me this dream. Not because I don't believe in Jesus, but I wanted to see what God was showing all of these Muslims around the world. I I prayed for it for a while. And and as I was writing this message, I realized I had stopped praying for that. I I never had the dream. I never got that prayer answered. And so I kind of just said, oh, well, I'll give up on it. And and maybe you can relate. Maybe go, yeah, I used to pray for this. and, And I stopped praying for it. But if the thing you were praying about involves pain, the reality is you're not going to forget that. And so I imagine this guy is reminded of his pain every day of those 38 years. 
So for him to stop praying for it meant not that he suddenly was okay with it or he'd moved on, but he had lost faith or lost trust that, that his God had anything to do about it. And now he's in a pool uh, for Greek, a uh, Greek God of healing, trying to figure out maybe that can be a source of healing in a different way. And with that context, I want you to understand the conversation that Jesus has with them. So Jesus walks over, uh, you know, maybe from the temple, all around this area. He walks into this area uh, dedicated to the Greek God of healing, sees this man and has this conversation. Go to verse six. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now at first, doesn't that seem like the most absurd thing that Jesus could possibly say to this guy? Would you like to get well? No, Jesus, I'm laying here for fun. You know, this is a hobby of mine for 38 years. Of course the guy wants to get well. What's going on here? Well, I think Jesus is looking at the condition of this man's heart. He is seeing something far deeper, and he's asking him the relevant question that this man needs to, to start wrestling with. Do you want to get well? Now, the reality is, some of us today, I think Jesus would want to ask the same question to us. Do you want to get well. And Michael, why, why would he ask that? Of course we want to get well. Well, the reality is that when you've had something for 38 years, when it has become part of your identity, you may not want to get rid of it. You may not want to give up that part of your story because maybe you have formed your identity around this. Now, a lot of this is what is, is known as a victim mentality. And this is not a, uh, an official condition you can get as of now, but uh, in psychology, there's a lot of, of, of stuff written about this. But a victim mentality basically takes something that bad that's bad happened and then it, it pushes you into your response to it. Now, let me break this down. Three different ways you can understand a victim mentality. It starts with something that is true. Bad things happen and will keep happening. Now, any of us who have lived long enough know that that's true. Bad things do happen. And if you have seen them in the past, you know odds are really high. They're going to keep happening that life is filled with suffering. And so it begins with a true premise. And all of us have to wrestle with what do we do with the bad things that happen in our life? What do we do with the suffering in our life? And so much of theology, so much of, of, of what we do in life is a response trying to figure out how to make sense of this. So it begins with a true premise, but then it starts to move away from this. The second idea of a victim mentality is this. Other people or circumstances are to blame. Now, I would consider this a partial truth. Now, the reality is all of us have some, something we could probably tell a story of, of other people or, or, or some other circumstance created pain in our life. I mean, if we had time, we could go story by story and go, hey, who has hurt you? And we go, well, I, when I was this age, this is what happened to me. And, and again, this is part of the human condition. Other people affect you, and, and we carry pain. We carry scars of things that other people have done to us. But why I would say this is only partially true is it overlooks or even negates any role that we might play. Now, we have to also consider we make decisions that lead to pain uh, for us and for others as well, that we have a role to play as well. But in the victim mentality, starts with a truth and then starts to latch on to a partial truth. And what this overlooks is any role that we have to play. So, oh, everybody else is the reason why bad things are happening to you. And it removes you from the equation. I don't, I don't have nothing to do with this. Other people are the reason why bad things are happening, which again is 
partially true, but also you have a role to play, I have a role to play in the pain and the suffering that we experience in our lives. Now, if you start here with the truth and you, you go to a partial truth and you really embrace it, then you get to step three, which I would consider not true at all, which is this. There's no point in trying to make it better. Now, I, I would say if you don't have a victim mentality, you go, that is adamantly not true. But if you start with this premise, you can understand how you get there. If you had no cause, you had no involvement in what happened to you, then yeah, you have no ability to make it better that you are completely dependent on what other people do, life happens to you. And this, you could sum this up and go, this is how you live with a victim mindset. And, and, and you know, there is good reason for this guy to experience that. But when Jesus asks this question, and he's saying, do you want to get well? What I think Jesus is getting at is this. Do you think there's point here in trying to get better? Do you think it's worth this conversation? I think Jesus is trying to get this guy to, to take ownership of his own story, not other people and other circumstances are all to blame. I think Jesus is trying to get him to see you have a decision in this. You have a part to play in this. What is it that you want? And maybe, you know, if you're, if you're in this mentality, you're going, yeah, maybe Jesus would want to ask me that question too. Do I want to get well, this guy has a part to play in the story. Now, with this question in mind, again, you might go, that's a, that's a stupid question for Jesus to ask. I want you to notice this guy's answer. Go to verse seven. He says this, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Notice, this guy has gone into full victim mode. Do you want to get well? I can't, is, is his response. Now, I love to imagine how this played out. It helps me to really understand these stories. So if you'll indulge me for a second, here's how this plays out in my mind. I have a mat here. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so here's how I envision. This man is laying down on his mat. Jesus walks up and says, do you want to get well? This guy goes, do I want to get well? Oh, Jesus, I can't get well. You want to know why, Jesus? Because nobody, nobody will carry me into the water. And when the water's boiling or, or stirred up, someone else always gets there in front of me. Do I want to get well? I can't get well. And he lays on his mat. Now, I want you to notice, if you listen to the words that he uses, all of the wording is about other people. Do I want to get well? I can't. Why? Because no one else will carry me into the water. And someone else always gets there in front of me. It is victim mentality. Jesus asks a very pointed question. Do you want to get well? I can't get well. This is one of the most tempting things that you and I have in front of us all the time. Every time something bad happens to us, the mat appears and says, lay on this. Just enjoy this. It'll make you feel so much better. And, and so you experience pain, you experience suffering, and pff, the mat shows up. And it's like, come on, come on over. Now here's the reality, don't miss this. This guy has every right to be considered a victim. He has been suffering for 38 years. 
No one would look at this guy and go, faker, get over it, right? (laughs) He's been laying there for 38 years. He had a reason to be a victim. And here's the point, you do too. Every one of you has a reason that you could convince yourself and you could convince those around you why you are justified in being a victim. And some of you, you got really good reasons. Like, I'll tell you how I'm a victim and why I'm a victim, and you're gonna be impressed with my list. But this is the point, and here's something you wanna write down. A victim mentality works against what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so you and I have a decision to make. You can go to the mat, you can go, this feels good, this makes me feel way better, woe is me, check me out, or, you can go, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? Jesus, how do you want to show up? How, how do you want to, to reframe this story? How do you want to engage in this story? A victim mentality works against what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so when Jesus meets this man, Jesus asking these pointed questions, do you want to get well? Because Jesus is working against this victim mentality. And the guy says, I can't. Imagine the absurdity of telling Jesus, I can't. Nope, Jesus can't happen because of this. I can't. Jesus is going, do do you want to get well? I can't. Some of us are having the same conversation with Jesus. Jesus is like, do you want to get well? I can't. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I'm a victim. Let me tell you this, 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 this. Jesus is like, do you want to get well? Do you want to leave this behind? One of the uh, ideas from a guy named Samuel Chand, I, I love, he's an author, and I've, I think I've used this before, but this is such a good statement. He says, your happiness is inversely proportionate to the shoulds in your life. Meaning, the more shoulds you have in your life, the less you're gonna enjoy it, and the more of victim mentality you're gonna have as you add shoulds into your life. And I think this is how we do it. This is how it creeps in. This is how each one of us chooses the mat. So if you'll indulge me, uh, this might be how, how it sounds, and maybe one of these is, is your story. So we, we lay on our mat, and we think, what are all the things that should happen differently in my life? Hmm. Well, I should be married by now. I don't know why I'm not married. I bring a lot to the table, and I can't believe no one else has seen that yet. I should be married. I should have kids. I, I, I don't know why we can't have kids. I don't know why that hasn't worked for us yet. I mean, I've seen some of these other parents and they are bad parents and they get kids. And why don't I get kids? I, I should be able to be a parent. I, I should have a better job than I have. I mean, I, I just don't get why they don't see what I bring to the table. I, I should be doing so much more. I should be acknowledged for it. I mean, I cannot believe I'm doing the job that I'm doing. I, I should have a way better job than what I have. I should have a better house. I mean, have you seen where I live? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, I should be living in a way nicer place than I have, and I just can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm living there. I, I should not have to deal with the health issues that I have. I mean, it's just not fair. Like, other people don't have this, and I, I can't believe what I got diagnosed with, and I can't believe what I have to now do because of that. It, it's just not, it's not fair at all. I, I should not have to deal with that. I mean, I, I should be way happier than I am. Like, why does everyone else seem so much happier? And, and I, I just not, I, just, I should be happy. And the reality is you, you can justify a lot of these. I don't mean to be callous, but 
we can all lay on the mat and you can spend your entire life coming up with shoulds, things that should happen to you. And all of these are going to work against what Jesus has for you. All of these. And so at some point, you gotta ask yourself, where is the mat in your life? What is the thing that is tempting you right now that is saying, lie down, play the victim, get everyone else to feel bad for you? Where is that air in your life? And are you lying down on it? Are you laying on your back going, oh, this should not be the way it is? I think all of us have this choice to make. This mat is always there, always trying to convince you, yes, you are the victim. But meanwhile, Jesus is going, hey, I got something I want to do in your life. But you're going to have to give some of this up, even if you might have every reason you think to justify it. One of the ways that I battle this in my own life is by thinking of a different perspective. What does Jesus want to do in my life through the pain, through, through what I'm experiencing? How does Jesus want to use this uh, to shape me? And one of the quotes, and I've shared this before too, but one of the quotes I think about a lot comes from a, uh, a, a theologian and an author named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and he says this, and this is so profound to me. He says, what does it matter if I suffer injustice? Like, just like, try to wrap your mind around that. What does it matter if I suffer injustice? Wouldn't I have, not, would I not have des, uh, deserved even worse punishment from God if he had not dealt with me according to his mercy? Like, already because of God's grace, I'm already coming out ahead, right? There's no way, like, like how, how would I even view that? Is not justice done to me a thousand times even in injustice? But then notice what he says. Must it not be wholesome and conducive to humility for me to learn to bear such petty evils silently and patiently? Must it not be good for me to learn to, to work through these, to learn to bear these, to learn to process through these without playing the victim, without wallowing in it? Must it be good for me ultimately to learn how to follow Jesus in the midst of this? <laughs> you might look at this and go, well, Easy for some theologian to say who just writes books all day, right? He's not living in the real world like we are. <laughs> if you know Bonhoeffer's story, you know that because of his faith, he was killed by the Nazis. So I think he has a little bit of right to say what he's saying here, right? This is the guy who went to his death in Nazi Germany. And he says, what does it matter if I suffer injustice? Is it not good for me? Now, he's not glorifying suffering. He's not glorifying pain. He has a perspective of what Jesus can do in the midst of it. And so he looks at this like, yeah, what, why would I get spun out about this? I, I'm, I'm aware of what Jesus can do. It's a different way to handle the pain in our life. I remember being at a conference one time, and uh, the speaker gave this great presentation, then did a Q&A afterward. And Q&A had some really good questions, and then we got to the one really snarky question. And usually if you stick around at a Q&A long enough, someone tries to like one-up the speaker and like show them how much smarter they are than the speaker. And so I remember at this Q&A, this person raises their hand and says, no offense, but. Now you know, whenever someone uses that phrase, they're about to offend the snot out of you with whatever comes next. You know what I mean? Like brace yourself, it's gonna be brutal. And this person says, no offense, but, very dramatically, I don't even remember what that person asked. What I remember is what the speaker did next. The speaker cut them off and said, don't worry, 
I won't let you offend me. <laughs> I remember thinking, I want that. I want that. Whatever that is. The speaker's going, look, there's nothing you could say to me that I would let you offend me with. Think of how different perspective that is from what most of us do, right? We think it's fashionable to be offended today. Like, what are you offended about? Oh, I'm more offended than you. Oh, really? I know I'm, let me tell you how offended I am. No, I'm more offended than that. And it's like, it's cool to be offended and to tell other people how offended you are. And we walk around with all these offenses uh, against everybody. And it's victim mentality. No, let me tell you why. I'm more of a victim than you are and, and you need to listen to me. And we wonder why we have such a hard time in community. We wonder why we have such a hard time listening to one another. We have, wonder why we have such a hard time hearing what, what one another is saying. Because we are too busy playing the role of victim and it doesn't allow Jesus to do what he wants to do in our lives. Well, what if we let go of that and said, you know what, we're not going to keep choosing to lie down on the mat. Now, you might say, Jeremy, I think you're being a little harsh here. Uh, I, I think that you know, someone who's playing the victim ha has a good reason. I think this guy had a good reason. I think Jesus understands that. Well, in light of this conversation, let me show you what Jesus does next. Go to verse eight. Jesus says to him, do you wanna get well? The guy says, I can't. Verse eight, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Just imagine that. Do you wanna get well? I can't. Here's why. Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. <laughs> oh, isn't it always the religious people that miss the point? I'm glad it doesn't happen for us today, but man, whew, that was bad back then. How come sometimes it's those of us who've been to church more, who've read more of the Bible, who follow Jesus for longer, that miss the point of what Jesus is doing? You see, it's, it's often that we can get so focused on how something is happening that we miss what Jesus is doing. And, and the religious among us are often the worst at this. I want you to think about what riles you up more? What, what do you spend more of your time thinking about? Is it all the things that the church does that you don't like and what other Christians do that you don't like? Are you, are you thinking about that? Or are you thinking about celebrating all the amazing things that God is doing around you? So we spend a lot of time, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that, why are they doing that? That shouldn't be the way they do it. Rather than going, God, you are doing amazing things. I wanna celebrate what you're doing, even if you're doing it in ways that make me uncomfortable. Even if you're doing it in ways that I, I, I don't understand, right? They're missing the point of what Jesus is doing because of how Jesus did it. Jesus, we got rules. You gotta follow, if you're gonna heal a guy, you gotta follow. Jesus is like, that's what you got out of what I just did? I just healed a man who's been sick for 38 years and what you got out of it is that he broke the Sabbath? I mean, I can only imagine Jesus trying to process this conversation with them. But one of the things I want you to notice here, and this is a fascinating detail, I want you to notice in this story, keep note of this, Jesus does not tell the guy to get in the water. Why does that matter? Because if someone claimed a healing at the pool of Bethesda, they would be dripping wet when it happened. 
I got healed today from the Greek god Asclepius at the pool of Bethesda. Check me out. I'm healed. This guy walks out of the pool of Bethesda. I'm healed. They're like, you're dry. How'd you get healed at the pool of Bethesda? Oh, yeah. No, no, it wasn't the water that did it. It was this guy that did it. See, Jesus is, is talking some smack here to the Greek gods right now. Like, I don't need your water to do what I'm about to do. And so Jesus heals this guy and keeps him bone dry to make a point. Now, this is gonna be contrasted. There'll be another story we're gonna see in John where Jesus is at a Jewish pool of healing and he will tell the person to get in the water. Here, because this is dedicated to the Greek god Asclepius, he's like, don't touch the water, stay out of the water. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go walk around and you're dry and you're healed. And it is a point for everyone to notice going, wow, Jesus seems to be rivaling the Greek god Asclepius. He didn't need the water. What's going on here? Now, we still have the problem because the, the Jewish religious leaders are mad. They're bothered by this. And so go to verse 11. They're still pushing on this guy and he's trying to figure out, I, I just got healed and now I'm having this whole argument. So here's what he says in response. Uh, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Uh, that's why I'm doing it. Well, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. Here's what's great. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. He doesn't even know who healed him. Like, so who was that? He's like, ah, didn't get a business card. Um, like, I was kind of surprised, like my legs were suddenly working, and so like I got a little sidetracked, didn't catch his name, and he was like gone. And they're like, so just some random guy heals you at the pool of Bethesda, not in the water, and you don't even know who it is? He's like, ah, yeah, I, I, I didn't get his name. I, I didn't catch it. Check this out, verse 14. But afterward, okay, so time has passed, Jesus found him in the temple. Okay, remember, he's gone from the pool of Bethesda. Now he doesn't need Asclepius anymore. He's in the temple, because this guy's a Jew, and, and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Now here's where I'll go like, geez, Jesus, why are you like threatening the guy now? Seems a little intense. If you keep it in context of the story, here's what I think Jesus is saying. Do not go back to idol worship. Do not go back to the Greeks. Look, I healed you. I did not heal you with the water uh, of Asclepion. I healed you. Do not go back to the Greeks next time. Like, I am telling you, you are understanding who God is. It is not this Greek God. It is something else. And so I think Jesus is saying to him, you're in the temple now. You better keep on track of who I am. Do not go back and, and think, oh, these gods are equally good. And then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Wow, what an incredible story. Now, here's a question I have. Why does Jesus ask this guy to carry his mat? Wouldn't it be more dramatic to say, leave your mat behind and go and walk? And everyone will see that there's this mat there and there's nobody on it. And they'll go, hey, where's the guy that was here for like 38 years? I don't see him anymore. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, pick up your mat. And then I love the detail that John gives us. John says, the man rolled up his mat. The man's like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I can walk now. Like, why do I have to carry this thing anymore? I don't know who that guy is, but he told me to do this, so I'm going to do this. So he gets his mat, and he's like, I guess I'll just carry it. And walks around, he's like, why, why, why do I need this? Why do I have this? Here's why. Write this down. Jesus wants you to carry your healing with you. Amen. 
Jesus wants you to carry your healing with you. See, some of you, you got a story to tell. You, you were lying on a mat. You're not lying on a mat anymore. And, and so Jesus wants this guy to tell a story. He wants this guy to walk around and go, I used to lay on this. For 38 years, I had to lay down on this mat. And now I'm carrying it because my legs work. You see, what this guy would have wanted to do is to throw this, be done with it, and be a new man. No, that's not me. I can walk. That, that's, a, that's a previous chapter of my life. I don't even remember that anymore. This is who I am today. And you and I want to do that too. I, I'm not that person anymore. I, I don't even talk about that. No, I don't talk to those people anymore. I don't go back to that place anymore. I, I'm a new person. But Jesus wants you to carry your healing with you. Yeah, I used, I used to have to use this. For 38 years, I had to use this. But, but, now, but now I can walk. Jesus, Jesus healed me. He, he showed up. And so now I carry this on to, to show people. See, this is how you fight victim mentality. Because it's hard the next time that guy experienced pain, if he's got his mat with him and he's like, oh, this is bad, he goes, you know what, though? I used to lie on this mat for 38 years. I remember what Jesus did there. So you know what? I'm going to be okay. I think I, I think I can trust him for this next one. See, when you carry your mat around with you and you bring your healing with you, you remember all the ways that Jesus has been faithful to you and you're less likely to go to victim mode. And here's something too, and this is important detail. If you assume victim mode, you have nothing to offer those around you. This man had nothing to offer. But as soon as he carries his mat around, he now has something to tell. He has something to share. So the next guy who's lying on a mat going, hey, can I tell you my story? Can I tell you about what, what happened in my life when I was on a mat for 38 years? That's why we believe so passionately. We are giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. If you play the victim, you have nothing to give. But if you carry your mat around with you, you say, here's what Jesus has done. Here, and, and again, it might not mean you get the miraculous healing that you want. It might not mean your prayers are answered the way you want. But Jesus has been faithful to you, I promise you. Learn to see it. Learn to recognize it. Learn to acknowledge the ways that Jesus has showed up. Carry your mat with you, and you'll be able to see this. Last week, Michelle gave an incredible message, and I, if you missed this, you need to go watch this thing. And one of the points she made is so good and ties so well in this. She said, our emergency can be Jesus's opportunity. This man had a 38-year emergency and now it was the opportunity for Jesus to show his goodness in his life. And now it's an opportunity to tell his story to every single person he meets. As, Why are you carrying a mat around? Oh, I used to lie on this. And now I've been healed by the person of Jesus. I want to close with something that the author, Pastor Christine Kane, says. She says this. There comes a time that we have to make what Jesus has done for us bigger than what someone has done to us. The reality is some of you have had some awful things done to you. And you'd be justified in playing the victim and going down that road. But Jesus has done something bigger for you. And he wants you to carry that around. And he wants you to focus on that and stand up. And so today, maybe for you, the challenge is you realize I'm lying on that mat and I have been lying on it for a while. And it's the invitation for you to stand up, to get up and say, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life through this? I'm going to start asking that question rather than playing the victim. Maybe for you, it's time to go find the mat that you threw behind you because you wanted nothing to do with it anymore and to carry your healing around with you and tell other people 
about what Jesus has done in your story and, and let them see his faithfulness. This is an incredible story of hope for all of us when we realize the invitation. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. We're gonna close our service today with a time of communion. And we thought it was a great idea to give space for this conversation between you and God. I say, in the context of community, let's all gather around what Jesus did on the cross for us. When he goes in our place for our mistakes, for our sin, he says, I'm gonna die. I will defeat evil for you. You don't have to do it. And if ever there was an opportunity for someone to play a victim, it would be Jesus on the cross. The only sinless person ever goes to a death on our behalf. That, that is not fair. That is a victim opportunity. And it, a writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He didn't play the victim. And he gives us a chance to find hope and purpose in the midst of our pain and to realize that Jesus is at work always. So may we be the ones who carry our healing with us, who say yes to what Jesus wants to do, who keep our eyes focused on the cross because we know that lying on the mat works against what Jesus wants to do. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we reflect upon the cross, this incredible act of love that you poured out for us. The only person ever to live a sinless life and yet you died for us. And you give us an invitation to see how you wanna work in the pain and the suffering in our lives. May we not go to that place where we start to blame everyone else, where we remove ourselves from our own story and we lie down on our mat in desperation. But may we see that you are always at work. Even when the answer doesn't look like we envision, even when the response isn't exactly what we wanted, we still can believe that you are good, that you are with us, and that you are faithful to us in all things. May we see that you are a God who suffers with us, who enters into pain with us. Then you invite us to carry a mat around, to tell our story. It's about the ways that we have seen your faithfulness. So God, may we be those people. May we be those who see the cross, who see what you have done for us and are willing to suffer any injustice that is done to us because we know that you can still work in all things. So God, for whatever we're carrying today, whatever weight is upon us, whatever pain we brought in here today, may we open our arms to see what you wanna do with it as we learn to stand up together. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.